King Hezekiah is remembered as being righteous because he made a covenant with God Almighty. A covenant. What does that mean? We'll talk about that in more in about five minutes as we begin our teaching on 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Very good. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We do that every year. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at the prophet Isaiah and some of the remnants of his life, potentially. Ryan? Today, I'm looking at the life of Sennacherib, the proud and arrogant king of Assyria. All right, very good. Look forward to that. They're coming up in about 20 minutes time. About 25 minutes, we have Janice. Janice? Yes, it's Friday again. That means I can ask a question. It's going to be anywhere from 2 Chronicles chapter 1 all the way to chapter 32. I hope you're ready. All right, let's open up the Bible and look at what God said. Second Chronicles 29, 1-10 through 10. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 through 10. Second Chronicles chapter 29, chapter 30, 31, and 32. Four chapters today as we continue to read through the Bible. It is absolutely fascinating. And Hezekiah ruled Judah from about 714 to 786 BC. Now, he had co-reigned with his father Ahaz for about 14 years. But once his father died, Hezekiah had a new and good plan for the nation. For his first year as full king, Hezekiah decided that the temple would be cleansed and that spiritual order would be restored to the nation. Hezekiah had already witnessed the fall of the larger and stronger sister nation to the north called Israel. And Assyria had 
disseminated them and carried many of them, many of the Israelites, off to exile. Hezekiah knew that he would be dealing with serious challenges from Assyria in the years to come. Something had to change, so Hezekiah stepped into action. This 13th king of Israel would have made his forefather David proud as he placed his bet on the God of everything. Hezekiah would be one of the last kings of Judah to do so. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. If you have your Bible guide, turn to it today. If you don't, why not write to us or call us? Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. BibleDiscoveryTV.com is where you can click on it and it takes you to a page. Thank you so much for your donations. I very much appreciate them. And uh, we appreciate being able to continue on with you as a result of that. But also, it takes you to a page where you can download it exactly how we've printed it. Now today, we're going to focus on Hezekiah comes to power. The king arrives on the scene from 2 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 10. A fascinating read. Let me tell you the truth. It it is really good. I, I love reading Hezekiah. And Father, today we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us as we focus our attention on your word. And we look in your word to see how you've spoken to us, because as we read that, our hearts will change. And so help us to change, Lord. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we need to hear how to act in our future leadership roles, how to be able to take responsibility for them. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen. Now, I mean that when we pray that, because this is how God forms us. He changes our hearts and changes our minds with his word so that we can change the way we live. And by doing so, change the way that leadership acts towards us and we act towards them and so on. Second Chronicles 29 verses 1 to 2, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. The scripture clearly says that according to all that his father David had done. Now, this is important because we need to understand the first point. Hezekiah is remembered as righteous or right with God because he made a covenant, that's a key word, a covenant with God. Beloved, we must be aware of our covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you aware of that? If you are a Christian, if you are somebody who says, yes, I follow the Lord. Yes, I do. What does that mean? It means that you've come under the covenant of Jesus Christ and you've said, yes, Lord, I want you as the Lord of my life, and I give you everything I have because my life is now dedicated to you. Now, that's important because that's a covenant, and God releases his Holy Spirit, and a covenant's like a promise. And so we don't break our promises as Christians. We do our best to follow God, and God helps us to do that with his Holy Spirit. Now, let's read on in 2 Chronicles 29, verse 3. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. And then he brought into the priest, or brought in the priest and the Levites, and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, 
and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him. They have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Absolutely fascinating. Here is the second point. Hezekiah was troubled that the people of Judah had ignored God. Ignoring God only creates problems. Whenever I make a choice to ignore the Lord Jesus Christ, that's always a problem. Because when I remember God, I understand that he is the creator of all things, including you. And he's the creator of everything in my world. And so my world is not about me. I don't look at this world to serve me. Rather, I'm in this world to serve the purpose of God to take care of it, take care of the people around it, and to serve the purpose of God. Now, there's some really interesting teaching here that we don't have time to get into about what that means. We'll get into that. I'll promise you we'll do another sermon on that in the future. But it's interesting that we pay attention to God because when we do, our attitudes change, beloved. We need to remember that. All right, so let's go on and learn some more in 29, 7 to 10. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps, and they have not burned the incense offered on burned offerings in the holy place to the Lord God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword." And our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Fascinating. That's amazing. See, Hezekiah realized that Judah's trouble in their past had stemmed from their neglect of the temple or the ways of God. Now, beloved, listen carefully. When government turns from God's ways and people, there is trouble. And let me tell you something. We have seen it and we continue to see it, don't we? There is trouble. You see, God is objective authority and he lets us know that when we see each other, we're seeing his creation. We're not seeing a accident of nature or billions of years of creation. We're seeing God, his hands created each of us individually. And beloved, we need to understand and learn that as Christians, if we display properly the love of God, we will take care of each other. And we need to be careful about that. That's not, you know, in our political structures or but that's in each of us every day on the one-on-one level. We need to get our lives right with God. So Father, today we pray that you would teach us your way and show us your paths today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. 
That's right, on your phone, your iPhone, or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Welcome back to the program. Today, our reading is 2 Chronicles chapters 29 to 32, and it's in chapter 32 that we read about the great boasts of Sennacherib, the proud and arrogant king of Assyria. Now, Sennacherib reigned from 704 to 681 BC, and he enjoyed a very successful military campaign. Literally, all of his enemies fell by his hand. However, when the Assyrian king attempts to take Jerusalem, he meets the one true God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Israel. Take a look. Five years after his defeat of Babylon, Sargon II, king of Assyria, died and left his throne to a son who hated him. For in none of his inscriptions or annals, observes one historian, does Sennacherib even acknowledge the existence of his father. Possibly this hatred was a result of Sargon publicly promoting his son as spineless and inadequate. Thus, when Sennacherib took the throne, the provinces celebrated what they believed to be their upcoming freedom from Assyrian rule. However, Sennacherib was nothing of the sort. In fact, he was bold, unafraid, and incredibly arrogant. The Babylonians saw this firsthand when he simply proclaimed himself their king rather than going through the formal ritual ceremony of taking the hand of their god. This was an insult to both Babylon and its chief deity. Soon after this, a rebellion took place, so Sennacherib ransacked the city, took almost a quarter of a million captives, and destroyed the fields and groves of anyone who had joined the alliance against him. This marked only the beginning of a very successful campaign, in which he defeated nearly all of his enemies. City after city fell to this powerful and proud Assyrian king. However, ironically, for all his victories, he is most remembered for his one very unsuccessful siege. Sennacherib had invaded Judah in 701 BC, during the reign of King Hezekiah, and after capturing most of the fortified cities, his army surrounded Jerusalem. With this, the Rabshakeh, speaking for Sennacherib, begins to make great boasts against Jerusalem and the God of Israel, saying, What confidence is this in which you trust? And in whom do you trust, that you rebel against me? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their countries from my hand? that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. What Sennacherib did not realize, however, was that he was calling out the one true God, not the false gods made of wood and stone, worshipped by his previously fallen foes. Indeed, and that one true God declared against the haughty Assyrian king that his previous enemies had little power, since it was God himself that was using Sennacherib to crush those in rebellion against the Lord God Almighty. But Hezekiah was a God-fearing king, and so the Lord assures him deliverance from Sennacherib. And it came to pass on a certain night, says 2 Kings 19, that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. When Sennacherib arrives only to see his army dead, he returns home. There he appoints Nineveh his new capital and builds many palaces and decorates their walls with tremendous reliefs of battles won and cities besieged. Interestingly, however, Jerusalem appears nowhere on those reliefs. Some years later, while Sennacherib was worshipping in the temple of his false god, two of his sons struck him down with the sword, thus fulfilling the word of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet. 
So although some might look at Sennacherib as a hero because of his leadership skills and military successes, the Bible gives us an accurate picture of the man. And that picture reveals that he wasn't somebody that we should model our lives after. As a matter of fact, he was a satanic king who was in rebellion to God to the day that he was slain by two of his own sons. Very, very tragic. Yeah, the Bible is clear about the kings and the, the tragedies that surround them. And this is one of them. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, I just need to mention quickly that uh, if you have not heard, uh, sermons that I'm offering this month are here and we're doing several sermons that we taped inside the studio. Uh, this is actually the return of Christ one and two. I look forward to this, doing this. We've done it to, to, uh, to I almost said tape. We've done it to drive and uh, it's ready for you if you want to get it. It hasn't been seen yet. So I want to encourage you. There's several sermons there, five of them. And then we've got several audio sermons I did at the church when I was pastoring. And so it's just what's going on in the world and how we're dealing with it and all that. It talks about the return of Christ. It's going to be very interesting. So if you want to get a hold of yours, you can, uh, it's, it's $30 or more is what we suggest. And so that's what we can do. You can go to Bible Discovery TV or call us or write to us either way. So it's good to, uh, good to have you do that. All right, Corey. All right, so our assigned Bible reading today in the Discovery Guide was 2 Chronicles chapters 29 to 32. And this chunk of chapters speaks about Hezekiah, right? And the, the Assyrian invasion led by King Sennacherib. Uh, but here, uh, the, the prophet Isaiah is mentioned as having recorded a lot of what King Hezekiah accomplished in his kingship, uh, you know, during his time on the throne. And this is quite common as we go through the books of Chronicles and Kings, we'll see different notations of different prophets of God that are said to have written histories uh, of the kings of Judah specifically. Really interesting. And then, of course, we're going to get into the book of Isaiah, uh, the son of Amos, uh, later on in the year. Uh, I want to focus in on Isaiah the prophet as a person because there is a potential artifact that may have been very personal to him that that archaeologists have now uncovered. Take a look. Recently, a clay bulla has been found, which may be the signature of the biblical prophet Isaiah. A bulla is an impression from a signet seal on a small lump of clay. Bullae were commonly used in the biblical world to seal documents or parcels and could even be given a loan as a type of receipt. These bullae are quite small, often measuring around half an inch in diameter. The seal of Isaiah is no exception, measuring in at 0.4 inches in diameter and divided into three horizontal registers. It's tiny, but packs a potentially biblical punch. It was found in an excavation in Jerusalem's Ophel area, the area that ascends from the city of David to the Temple Mount, near to a building identified as a royal bakery that met its end during the Babylonian destruction, excavations took place that saw all the remaining dirt from the dig wet sifted. Water was used to push the dirt through fine sieves, and as a result, 34 tiny bullae were identified. One was familiar to archaeologists already. It belonged to Hezekiah, the king of Judah. This, along with the discovery of several specially marked storage jar handles that are known to have dated from Hezekiah's reign, helped secure a date for the other bullae. The Isaiah bulla is damaged on its left and upper sides. What's remaining of the upper register looks to be a grazing doe. 
This symbol is known from other signet seals dating from the same time and found in Judah and Jerusalem, so it's believed to have been a popular motif that symbolized protection and blessing. The middle register is damaged but clearly identifies the owner. It reads, belonging to Isaiah. The lower register is also damaged, but the preserved word either reads prophet or is another personal name. Due to the damage, a conclusive answer can't be given. It must remain speculative until another bulla from the same seal is discovered that fills in the blank. For now, archaeologists and laypeople alike have been thrilled by this small lump of clay that may have come in contact with both Isaiah and Hezekiah. One of the things that I love about studying, looking at even just ancient seals and seal impressions from the time period of the kings is that it, it humanizes history again. I think it's so easy to read through our Bible and just see people as names and dates and numbers and, and a means to an end. We're trying to get to the end of the biblical narrative. We're trying to just push through and read the Bible like good Christians. Uh, but it really, when you take a look at, at, at personal items like this, it, this, is, this was someone's signature, whether or not it turns out to be the signature of Isaiah the prophet, the fact that it could have been his ancient signature and the fact that he held it, he touched it, he stamped whatever document this stamp was closing, um, it brings that, that really personal touch back and, and just helps us to remember these were real people who had thoughts and prayers and hopes and dreams and devastations and lives that they lived uh, just like us. So, it, 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 you know, this is one of the ways that uh, I try to enrich my Bible study is by remembering the reality of the stories that are present, that these were real people just mm -hmm. like me and in it, it adds a different element then to a, a more compassionate element, I find anyway, to my reading of the scripture. What, what, what is interesting to me is when I, I, I remember and I go, I take, I go back in time, you know, it's going on time travel. I go back in time <laughs> yeah. and I remember in my teens and my twenties, we were younger and I never thought in my lifetime mm -hmm. that we would ever be looking at a seal mm -hmm. of Isaiah, mm -hmm. let alone the uh, Orsuary of Caiaphas, let alone all of these other amazing things from the New Testament and the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. This is stunning. Mm -hmm. And the Bible, the they were at the, in those days in my teenage years, they were arguing whether King David was real. Right. Now there's no question, and mm -hmm. it's really interesting how that God has pulled things together, and His word is real. Mm -hmm. And the people were real and they lived. This is amazing. And they had their own struggles. And, In and, fact, and, they did. Yeah. It, it's, they were it's, humans. It's so interesting to think about how, how and, and a little bit of an impossible and rhetorical question, but how would, how would Isaiah have dealt with the besiegement of Jerusalem? He was there. He was struggling. Like he was struggling like everyone else. How would Hezekiah, knowing he was responsible for all of these people who had flocked to him for help, 
Is it any wonder that he cracked and ran to the altar of God? He, knowing he was in a completely impossible situation, that potentially everyone that he knew was going to be slaughtered, everyone who had come to him for help. So who does he go to? He runs to God. So thinking about it in those terms adds a different element. Instead of it just becoming a means to an end when we're reading through our Bible study, it can become, it, it can become quite impactful. And I think that it's important to remember that they didn't know it, but their lives would be put on paper so that we would read about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's incredible. And so he's known by millions of people today mm-hmm. uh, who read the word and understand it. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, he's, he would not think of that when he's going through it. Mm-hmm. He would just say, how am I going to get to this next day, Lord? Help me. And, and your point is well taken. You know, we can quickly read over something and not catch it, mm-hmm. not catch the details. And that's why I appreciate both of your segments so very much because it, it gets us to perhaps read something or think it through in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate that very much because it adds such a depth mm-hmm. to this book. This book is, is, is more than a means to an end. Um, as you as you've so well put it. So let's take a lesson from that. Um, and I'm going to help us today to also look at some details. These Friday questions, some of you love to play along and that's great. I'm so excited that you do. And a lot of times I'm stopped here or there or I get texts or emails. I'm on the 14th right answer in a row, you know, and things like that. So I know <laughs> that you enjoy them or, oh, I missed it this week. But this is a way that we can study the scripture in kind of a fun way as well and test ourselves to see how we've been reading. Okay, so you're on the spot at home, but Corey and Ryan are on the spot here. Here is our question. It's anywhere from 2 Chronicles 1 through to 32. So there's lots Mm. of details in here for us to choose from. Here it is with less than a minute ago. Which king hired 100,000 mighty men from Israel for 100 talents of silver to fight with him? only to discharge them to go home. Which king was that? Was that King Solomon, King Hezekiah, or King Amaziah? Which one of those three kings was the king that did this? What Looks you? like they got it nailed down. <laughs> you saw my little I did. covert hand signals. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do anything. <laughs> I can't Behind do my anything. computer, yeah. I'm signaling. That's it's right. like, don't right. give it away. That's right. That's right. Okay, yeah. what, do you, what, what do you think? 15 seconds, Corey. <laughs> Amaziah. The third one. Amaziah, and would you have gone with Amaziah? Absolutely. All right, and what about you at home? I'm going to read it. Chronicles 25, verses 6 and verse 10. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. Verse 10, so Amaziah discharged the troops. There you go. Thank you for joining us today. Just remember, I'd like you to uh, to remind you that BD Family and Friends, BD Family and Friends is the name of our channel. 
on the Roku box. And I would encourage you to get a hold of a Roku box and use the internet to watch television. And uh, if you ask about Bible Discovery TV or BD Family and Friends, it'll take you to our app. Now today we pray, Lord, help me on this day not to ignore you and not to ignore your ways. 